I was uh, telling some people up front, I'm, I'm currently working on a, a miniature of the tabernacle. And uh, it came with a little miniature of, a, the, of an ark. And their depiction of the ark looks nothing like the one in Indiana Jones. So I reject that. Um, so I had to modify it to make it look more like that. And then I was questioned as to why I'm modifying the ark. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, I also, had, I don't anymore. They finally came off, but I also had gold fingernails for a while. So, because I'm the, I'm the one that has the, the wisdom to airbrush with, you know, like this. So, just, but, you know. <laughs> yes, I was questioned on that yesterday as to why I'm painting my fingernails. So, uh, but. Um, you say you're having a girl's day with your daughter. See? You're there the you best go. dad. <laughs> there you go. So, well, again, it's good to see everybody. Uh, we're going to continue as to uh, what we were talking about. Last week, we I said that we we're going to be going through a series of suggestions that uh, the Solomon or the Ecclesiastes gives uh, that talks about while we serve this, uh, as we said last week, this analogy, we serve this life sentence here on earth and, uh, and how we can live in a way that will lead to an enjoyable life. Even though we're living in a on a place or in a place that where all things are vanity, all things are striving after wind. So how can we? What is it we should be doing? And we know uh, through multiple times we've talked about that uh, the only source of meaning and truth is in God and in Christ's kingdom. And so since we're here, we have to be here. Then how can we live? and enjoyable life. So just for a quick summary is what we talked about last week and a few of these points. Uh, first of all, the, the first one and probably the, the predominant one, the most important one, is to fear God, uh, love and respect the creator of the universe, and most importantly, be public about it. Be public about the, your acknowledgement of that, your love and respect for him. Don't hide this from the world around you. And uh, I like to always bring up one of my favorite quotes. I actually got this out of a fortune cookie. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, uh, faith is personal, but not private. And I've always liked that. I always thought that was a very good way to look at faith. It is very personal, but it should never be private. It is not something that you are you hide and you, you keep just to yourself. You should show the world your faith in God. But uh, next one was uh, doing things in a timely manner. We have, There's a time and a place for everything. Time and a place that we should uh, that we should. Speak out that when we do anything in our life, we should do them uh, in the right time, the right place, be, be very knowledgeable of that. This also ties very closely into fearing God that we should uh, always be public about uh, our, our acknowledgement of him and doing things in the right way. Uh, as we are doing this, we should not uh, shirk on, on the work that we are doing. Uh, this I know we did talk about that vanity, the work is vanity, that uh, it's just one of the activities here on earth. However... While we're here, we should focus on our jobs. We should focus on our, our whatever it is. And when say job, that can be anything that you focus on. And that can be a career. It's whatever you put your focus on, you should do it well and uh, try to the best of your ability to do it uh, every, uh, every day and every focusing on it and working to the best of your ability. On the flip side of that, the next side is, though, we should never forget that we do, are expected to rest and uh, God rested on the seventh day. He commanded the Israelites to rest every week. And uh, there are multiple uh, uh, examples of that throughout Scripture. Resting gives us the ability to focus on God, focus on uh, our families, focus on ourselves, and it's vitally important to the well-being. 
Uh, on another one is that you should always, uh, it's one of the most important things in this world is looking for people to lean on, whether it be uh, friends or spouse or, or family or whatever, finding someone uh, that you lean on. One of the greatest things about the church is that whenever you are in the church, you instantly have thousands of friends, millions of friends across the world uh, that you have a like interest in, a like um, faith in. Uh, a very common psychological uh, study or psychological question that is given to people is when they're evaluating someone is if you were broke down, your car breaks down in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, and uh, you need someone to help you, how many go through your phone? How many people on your phone? How many people on your, your call list would be willing to get up and actually come help you? That's a very telling uh, psychological question. Is that how many friends do you actually have that are willing to go that extra mile for you? Yes. And Ryan, are you that friend that will do that for them? If he hears the phone. That is the, there is definitely extra, extra uh, psychological ideas to that. But, you know, the interesting thing is that don't we wish that the church was like that for all of us? I mean, should we all not be like that for every Christian in the church? Anyone you know that you call would be able to uh, would just stop what they're doing and to come and help uh, no matter what the situation was. Uh, as we, uh, and I made some jokes about this last week, and only some of you caught this, which kind of makes me feel good. Uh, but uh, the hell that don't talk too much, only a few got that, seemed to be. That makes me feel better. Um, but uh, the lesson here, though, is not talking too much. The lesson here is listening. If you're talking, you're not listening. And it's important that you, uh, that you spend your time listening. It's amazing what you can learn about people and their stories and how you could help them if you just listen to what they have to say. And then lastly, and this is probably one we should, probably should have left to the very end, but that's okay. Striving to have a good name. You know, it's, uh, if we do all of the other things, if we do all of the other suggestions, if we do all of the other um, uh, commands, anything that is involved with, the, uh, with these suggestions that Ecclesiastes gives, then you should come out of the other side with a, a good name for yourself. And this is not just a name for you, but it's a name for your physical, your personal family, but also the family of God. And it's important that we uh, remember that. So, so a little bit of summary there. So without any kind of real intro, let's just jump right back into our suggestions. So start off with a question. Somebody give me, what is a pet peeve of yours? It doesn't have to be personal. It doesn't have to be like a, I say personal, it doesn't have to be family oriented. It could be just a generality, a general pet peeve. Truck anyway. drivers trying to pass another truck on the freeway. <laughs> truck drivers <laughs> trying to die. Now, I tell you what, let's just go ahead and throw out on hill, on anything hill. in a vehicle. That'll cover probably a lot of people's pet peeves. So anything in a vehicle. On a hill. On a <laughs> <laughs> truck driver trying to pass a truck driver on a hill. I see it okay. all the time. All the time. Anybody have any other one they want to throw up? There is, like, I don't want to say this. Eating with your mouth open. Eating with your mouth open, okay? Eating loudly. Eating loudly. So there's a lot of food ones. Wanda? The state of the flower beds. The, st the state of the flower beds. All right. Noted. Okay. Me personally, uh, I, one of my pet peeves, my wife can vouch for this, is that people that, uh, that don't abide by basic societal ideas, me in particular, is parking. Um, is uh, whenever people just don't park in a, they, you know, they park where it is where they're really not supposed to just because, well, it's just going to be a second. Those are, you know, pet peeves. There's nothing wrong with pet peeves. There's nothing wrong with having this idea. Um, if you listen to this, chapter 7, we're going to spend a lot of time in chapter 7. 
in Ecclesiastes, if you want to turn there. Uh, but chapter 7 and verse 9 basically it says this, Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Again, simply put, the wise do not get angry, but the foolish do. And it's getting frustrated, getting annoyed is perfectly natural, certainly not a sin. Uh, we see Jesus get frustrated with the Pharisees often. He gets frustrated with the apostles multiple times. Uh, they're perfectly normal. Uh, Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. So those are obviously two different things. Uh, you can be angry at something. You can get frustrated. That's okay. We often call that righteous anger. If you get angry with something because an innocent or a, the poor or the innocent or whatever are taken advantage of, we get angry about that. And that's perfectly normal. Um, it's, it's not something that we should get, you know, shy away from necessarily. Again, Jesus showed his anger in the temple when he ran out the merchants. And so this is, uh, the issue here though, is not about getting angry. It's about allowing anger to escalate into another level. It's, it's important to note that most of the time though, anger that we get is not necessarily righteous anger. A lot of times this anger is, goes back to our pet peeves. There are things that they just get, we just get more and more angry about it. And that's stepping into the realms that we don't need to be getting into. Uh, if we allow our annoyances to grow into something that is more, uh, that, gets, uh, that can become very dangerous. We need to avoid getting angry about things that are not worth it. That's really what it comes down to. We certainly should control our emotions. And, uh, and we should not even allow even righteous anger to turn into something that is... Uh, that it goes beyond what God asks us to do. So controlling yourself, controlling your anger, controlling your emotions is important. Um, I'm going to uh, kind of go to the next point. I'm going to give you a statement. I'll, I'll say it twice. And I want you to just, just listen to this. Events that take place in our lifetime equal wisdom. Events that took place before our lifetime equal history. We can learn from both, but we must know the difference between the two. Again, events that take place in our lifetime equal wisdom. Events that took place before our lifetime equal history. We can learn from both, but we must know the difference between the two. Chapter 7, verse 10, Solomon says, Say not, why were you of the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. And we've already talked about that looking at the concept and the, you know, looking at life in a rear view mirror and saying, you know, why didn't things used to be this bad? Um, okay, I need to... I have to confess, I actually did this yesterday, or fr yeah, Friday. I actually did this Friday, okay? I went to Target to pick up something for, like a, uh, pick up an item. Couldn't really find it in the shelf, so I, I went in and I asked the, uh, the worker, I was like, do you guys have this? Guy pulls out his phone, starts scrolling the Target website to see if they have it. I don't see anything like that here. I think we might have it online. <coughs> okay, I don't need you to tell me that. I could have done that. That's not hard. And so I went home and I was like, I, what happened in the days when workers just knew what was in their store? So I did that myself. You know, things didn't used to be this way. Uh, but uh, the, the point is, though, Solomon tells us this is not spoken from wisdom. This is not something that we're, uh, we're doing from wisdom. Wisdom grows through events that we've lived through over time. And the events that we have experienced, the view that things were better when we were younger or that things were better in ages past, do not come from wisdom. If your idea is, is that it's like, well, but when I was little, things used to be so much better. That's because you didn't have life experience to compare that to. 
And now that you have life experience, you can look at it and you can say, okay, things didn't get worse. It's just your experience, your wisdom grew. It's, uh, and that's, that's basically what this is telling us. It is important that we live in the here and now. It's important that we live gaining wisdom from our experience and living where we are right now. I will reiterate the fact, and I will always reiterate this, that a basic knowledge of history is important. It's something that is vital to being able to move forward in society because it helps us. The whole, you know, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. That is a very true statement. However, we should not try and live there. We can't put ourselves into that world and say, you know, this is, I, I just wish that we should live back then, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep that mentality from that time period. It just doesn't work that way. Yes? I, I couldn't think of a pet peeve earlier, but that's a pet peeve of mine. What, what you, I said, or? No, what, oh. you're, what you're stating is, I, I, it bothers me when I hear, we do this in the church a lot, you know, the, every year, you know, or every, you know, especially depending on who's in office, um, you know, oh, the, the nation or the, the world is, you know, it's going to hell in a handbasket with, you know, because we don't agree with cert what certain groups believe or something like that. And I look back and I think to myself, well, what part of our history are you wanting actually to return to? You want to go back to the time when minorities didn't have rights and were regarded as property or, and we, we tend, everybody, every generation tends to to do that and, and kind of blame the, the generation before or look back and, and, and say, it's all the boomers' fault. Man, I got, I got my rear whooped all the time when I was a kid. That's what's the pro problem with, with with this nation when when there's kids that never got whooped. That I got whooped one time and I turned out okay. It, it, it's always this, this 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 constant referral back to the golden days of something. And I'm like, I don't know that we really want to return to the dark ages or anything like, like that, you know, but it's just something within us that, you know. Yeah, there is, psychologically speaking, there's so much more to the conversation of, uh, of you know, things used to be. And what a lot of times people don't really, a lot of times we say that out of frustration and emotion and we, uh, when people say those kind of things, and what they don't really do is stop and really look at all of the climate of everything that was going on, uh, which is always... Um, which is always kind of, um, it's always difficult to do and to really understand where people are. But absolutely, uh, and that's basically what, we're, what's, uh, what Ecclesiastes is saying here. We live in the here and now. We're here. Use the wisdom you've gained. Understand what the past has to offer, but live here and now. Um, this next one, let's go ahead and read this. This is chapter 7, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. And should we be happy when times are prosperous? Absolutely. We should praise God for what he has blessed us with, for sure. However, there will be, there will come the days of adversity. There will become the days that we like to call it bad luck. Unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world with perfect health and, and, and you know, perfect wellness and broke that a long time ago. And, and so we, we have to remember that there is both prosperity and adversity. Uh, going back up to chapter, uh, verse 2 and verse 3, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will stay, will lay, in, lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. You know, Psalm is saying that life is full of sorrow and characterized by death. Uh, we've, we've talked about that quite a bit already in this class, but here's the point. The person who realizes that, who understands that life is hard, 
that everyone experiences disappointment. Death is an ever-present reality. That person has wisdom. The person is certainly wiser than the person who, that person is certainly wiser than the individual who spends their time going through life just always looking for it, always having the belief that good will, or at least should, always be the case. You should always be happy. If you're not always happy, then there's just something is just happening to you. Uh, one who realizes that life has adversity will not be hit so hard by when those long strings of, again, of bad luck hit you. Whenever you understand these are going to happen, and they happen to everyone. And it's not just for you. You know, there's a, a significant study that you could probably find in this concept today. And I'm sure it's, in fact, I know it's being done quite a bit uh, around the world. Because a lot of where our, uh, the mentality of, of many people across the whole world has moved towards has this idea that health and happiness is something that should be attainable at all times. That you should always be working towards that. Now, that's not an unusual view. That's something that's very common throughout world history. However, the difference is, is that we have very much moved into a, an idea that if you don't have that, it's not because it's just bad luck or because things are happening to you, because it's because it's someone's fault. Someone is doing this to you. Someone or some entity is doing this to you. That's where the big change is starting to, to happen. This is in a nutshell. We look at the way society just very briefly. This is why things like social media and getting likes is so important. Why we like to use the human rights stamp on just about everything. If we think someone should have this, we stamp it. That's a human right, and that means that everybody should. I, I did a class over this, not to, or a lesson over this not too terribly long ago, is that the idea of human rights and that uh, you have to be very, very careful when you do that because whenever you stamp something as a human right, you're basically saying, God promised me that. And if I don't get it, it's God's fault that I didn't get it. Okay, you have to be very careful with that So when we say human rights and uh, when we stamp that on, on everything. It's also why in certain aspects of societies around the world, suicide rates are higher than they've ever been in, in certain aspects because of this view that happiness and health should be something we should just always have, should always be there. You know, this leads us back to the original verse. Prosperity and adversity come from God. This can be a difficult message to hear, that both of these come from God. You know, we're happy to give God credit when good things are happening, but... We, and a lot of like society, if bad things happen, we want to give a culprit. Now, we're always like, well, but it, it's Satan, right? That's not wrong, but honestly, think about it this way. We have good intentions when we're saying that. We're trying to put this at the feet of Satan. However, are we not taking away from God's sovereignty when we do that? God is in charge of this universe. He, everything happens. He either allows it or he causes it. Hey, this is, and so because of that, by automatically just saying, well, God did the blessings, but Satan does the negatives. What we're basically saying is that God just kind of turns his back and says, you go do what you want over there. That's not God. God is sovereign over all. He understands and knows. And if we understand that, if we understand these things are happening, then there's a lot of value in understanding that that adversity is, is there and what the reality of where it's coming from. The comfort here is that we know that God is in charge of everything. That no matter what comes our way, there is a bigger picture. There is a bigger picture of what's happening in our life. There's a bigger picture of what's going on. We can easily take something and say that's not fair because we're not looking at the bigger picture of God being in charge of everything. We know 
that God will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. First Corinthians 10 says that. And so we need to make sure that we are acknowledging the fact that God supplies both, adver- both prosperity and adversity. He is in charge of everything. So have you ever heard, moving on to another point, have you ever heard this phrase? Uh, this is one, I, I've heard it a little bit. This is not one that is really, maybe maybe this is an, uh, an older phrase that I haven't heard as much, but so heavenly minded as to be of no earthly use. You heard that one? Um, since I kind of moved into somewhat of the social work field a little bit the last couple of years, a statement that, that I have heard said and I have said and, and under, at least have acknowledged with certain people in the field is this one. Uh, someone has a big heart and small brain. Um, they, now, neither one of those are meant to be derogatory. These are not, these are not meant to make fun of or, or attack someone. What these are both, these are often very wonderful people who have huge hearts who really want to help, but they just are not understanding the realities of what the world looks like. They're blind to what the world looks like around them. And, and they, they want to really try, but they are just kind of struggling to see that. Uh, verse, chapter 7, verses 16 through 18 says this, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold, take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. You know, you should never hide your faith. We talked about that. You should, but you also should never make a show of it either. You should never make this as a standing on a street corner trying to say how, how righteous you are. Uh, Brother Roper in his book said this, No one will accuse the faithful Christian of being excessively righteous because he goes to church. In addition, visits the fatherless and widows as a hard worker and is kind to everyone. You know, a wise person will not allow themselves to go into extremes, to go into, to take themselves down a a path where they have uh, really focused too heavily on things. For example, and we could come up with a lot of examples uh, of kind of secular examples, you know, getting too focused on, on sports or some sort of entertainment or your job. We've talked about that through this whole class. But have you ever met, or have you ever, maybe this is a world, maybe you sat in this for a little while, where you became way too focused on the idea of even your religion, right? The idea of the, the religious aspect of this. And the problem was you become so focused on that, you don't have the ability to connect with people around you because you have nothing to talk about with them. If you've ever listened to someone talk and every, someone's trying to tell the story and they just keep going back and say, well, let me just show you the Bible. Let me just show you the Bible. And they don't ever make any personal connection to that. They've, they've gone down a route that is, uh, that is difficult to, to communicate with other people. You need to find balance in your life. Balance out what is there. Balance the things in your life with your family, with, your, with the church, uh, with God, and with all the activities of your life. And to balance them out so that you can better serve the kingdom. Use the skills and the talents that God gave you. <clears throat> um, so... I'm, just, I'm sorry, I was trying to um, was trying to decide whether I was going to use this analogy, and I'm going to. So, um, and I, I use my class, and I use teachers and students a lot uh, as examples, but uh, most teachers will tell you this, that they really do want their students to like them. They really do. You know, you get you get a lot of teachers will be like, you know, it's like, well, you know, I know they're, they're never going to like me. They don't really care and everything. But the reality is, is that teachers, that's why we do what we do 
It's because we really do want the students to like us. Now, we're not ignorant. We know that that's not always going to be the case. You're always going to have students or parents or someone who doesn't like you or your class, but uh, you really do want people to like you. Uh, in cha- verse, uh, this is still chapter 7. Verse 21, it says, Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. You know, anyone who tries to do anything worthwhile, tries to do, live what is live right, you're going to be criticized. Uh, today, there are, and if you didn't take very much of a, uh, um, and what was it, I heard this phrase on Friday, it didn't take very much of a, of a doom spiral of swiping through uh, social media, it didn't take very long to start finding groups of people that equate the church with racism and hate. It doesn't take very long to get to that. There are people out there who, solely because of the fact that you identify as a Christian, uh, they they do not like you, and they will tell you. Um, It doesn't take very long to find that. If you have enemies, and if you follow Christ, you're going to have enemies. We know that from Scripture. We know that from reality. It's an important matter, though, to the point. The important point, though, is to, no matter how hard you try, you won't be able to stop them from doing that. Uh, you're, that's always just going to be the case. Scripture tells us, that, that, tells us that very clearly. So the lesson is this. You can't take them too seriously. You can't take them too seriously in life. Most teachers will also tell you that uh, you can't take every negative thing a student says personally. All right, I work side by side with teachers who, who do that. They, they take everything very, very personally, and, and it, it's pretty rough on them uh, when they try to, uh, when these kind of things happen. Uh, you know, and the thing is, though, a little bit of a side lesson on this, it's also very important to listen to criticism sometimes, because sometimes it will help you recenter yourself to recognize that maybe what you were doing or maybe what you were saying or how you were thinking or how you were acting was not the best way to be able to handle a situation. And you can, uh, so sometimes it, it helps to do that. Uh, I, I said this earlier uh, to Ricky, and so this is, uh, I'm, did you guys know that Twitter is in the Bible, or whatever they're calling it now? I guess it's not Twitter anymore. You guys know the yeah, X. You guys know the Twitter's in the Bible. Listen to this verse. This is chapter ten and verse twenty. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in the bedroom curse the rich, for the bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. <laughs> I read that. I was like, okay, I gotta add that in there. Uh, you know, I, I joke on that, but it makes it very abundantly clear. We are to respect authority. Okay, we're to respect authority. No matter what or how that authority may be manifested in the world, we are to respect that. Uh, back in chapter 8, verse 2 through 5, he says this. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from this, his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know uh, no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. These verses give us a series of very clear lessons when it comes to authority. Keep the king's commands. Uh, do not conspire against the king. Do not expect the king to do what you say. And then the verse we read, don't say bad things about the king because your words will, be, words will become public. You know, sometimes, I, and I've, I've sat in classes before, and I've listened to people talk before, and it's like, well, you know, they keep talking about a king. You need to understand, yes, I know, in the United States here, we are very anti-royalty, it's even in our Constitution, right? But we, that doesn't change the fact that we're talking about authority here, not just a king. Now, it is very self-serving <laughs> for Solomon to write these things, 
I mean, he was the king. I mean, so it's very self-serving that he did that. But I, he's not writing to the king. He's not writing necessarily about your authority with the king. What he's writing about is how to be wise and to protect yourself. That's really what it comes down to. If you don't follow the king commands of the king, the, the laws of the land, you could find yourself in trouble. You could find yourself in, in, in prison or even killed uh, because of these uh, of not doing that, and that is not very wise. Uh, a very common misconception in American history is that uh, the American Revolution, part of the reason it was fought was over religious persecution. The Americans were being persecuted. That is not true. Uh, honestly, this is a very Christian teaching. It really is. Um, I've read a lot of textbooks and a lot of American history books of the Revolution, and none of them talk about religious persecution being one of the reasons. That is something that is often added in by faith-based books, uh, and the reason for that is because what the Americans were doing, and I know I'm being very, everybody's like, you're not patriotic, I, just, I understand that, but I have to understand what the patriots were doing was a textbook against what Solomon was telling us not to do. They were fighting against, they were arguing against lack of representation, against uh, unfair laws, and against taxation. All three very <laughs> legitimate laws that we all follow today, and they didn't like those, and so they fought against that. All right, the, the point is, is that, uh, that we have to be careful that we don't justify even our own history, our own country, our own actions, because it's like, well, because we like to go in and add inner things, be like, well, there was a religious aspect to that. There was not a religious aspect to that. Um, it was very much a, we want, we don't like the way we're being treated by the king. And literally, in this case, it was the king. So uh, the point is this, respect authority. Respect the authority we have. And as a Christian, this isn't just about what Ecclesiastes says. This is about what the New Testament says. We are commanded to do this. Matthew 22, Jesus very clearly says, pay your taxes to Caesar. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Peter writes, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. He goes on to say in verse 17, honor the emperor. If the law of the land tries to supersede the will of God, that's a different story. You know, we would have to obey God rather than man. Otherwise, we are commanded to obey secular authorities. Only, can I ask something? Please. Only within certain bounds, though. Only if you, they don't you, oversee it, overstep God's law. You, you, you look at, at First Peter, and I often argue with, with people about this, and, you know, you get the whole two, the anti-patriot kind of <laughs> label about you, but... Um, you know, people talk about the founding. Uh, you know whether or not you know United States is built on a, on a, on a Christian uh, Judeo ideas. And my first thought is there's nothing Christian principle about revolution. Um, for for first in First Peter, it's he's saying in First Peter, even if you're treated badly by by the government, you have your example in Jesus. And that's a hard pill to, to, to swap for, for Americans to swallow, and it's a hard pill for even Christians to swallow. Um, because, you, and I only say that because you you say unless it goes against some some type of moral teaching. No, I didn't say it. Sometimes well, well, if it goes against God's 
law. If it yeah. goes against the commands of God, if it goes against Scripture, then we are not we are bound to follow God, not not the law. Right. What I mean, um, what I meant by that is, if you interpret God's law to mean that that we are entitled to all these freedoms, right. <laughs> and that we should we should kill in in retro to, yeah. to obtain those those freedoms, that that's really not a scriptural ideal. Yeah, and absolutely. It's very hard for us to. to it is. That. It is. We we have a long history of of. Uh, uh, pushing back against that, to put it mildly. So, um, so let's let's move on. They, they, we're going to combine the kind of the next two points in this. Uh, in chapter ten and verse ten, Solomon says this: If the iron is blunt, and what does one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. In this case, he, he's attributing a, a wisdom to. Um, to sharpening the edge, to sharpening the edge of the tool before you begin your work. You know, that uh, you, you, these are the same thing. And uh, basically, you will save time, you'll save effort, you'll save money if you prepare for whatever you're planning to do. If you prepare for these things out front, you may be able to accomplish something without any preparations, but it's going to be harder. It's going to be, uh, the chances are you, you, it, you may not actually accomplish it or you may not accomplish everything you want to. And so this is a this is something you can do in everything in your life, whether it be through education, through simple practice, learning a trade, simply spending time in thought and prayer. Preparing yourself is very important. You need to prepare for what you're going to be doing as you move forward. After you've spent time preparing, though, and this is kind of the second side of this, you need to do it with enthusiasm. All right, do this with enthusiasm. Solomon also stated in chapter 9, verse 10, he says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Uh, simply said, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing right. All right, that's the, we've heard that before, uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure that is like every grandmother in the country. It's like part of grandma's statement. My grandma said that all the time. And, and what's funny is the, 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 I think it was an article that I got, they, they use that example, and it was his grandmother. So I think it's his grandmother's. Um, so thank you if you're a grandmother and you say that. Um, as a coach, I, I would when I back when I coached, I used to I often used to use the thing the phrase you know tell the kids before game leave it all on the field. Well, if you don't really understand what that means, basically you're telling them give them a hundred give a hundred percent. You also might hear someone coaches say you know give hundred and ten percent, and you always get the you know you always get the naysayer someone you can only give hundred percent. This is the point of why you say that is that if you think you gave hundred percent, get back on the field and give a little bit more. Right? Give everything you have on the field. Do everything you are doing with enthusiasm. Try to give everything you have to that, whether that be in the thing, you're, the job you're focusing on, or the, with your family, with church, with everything. Do it all with enthusiasm, with 100%. You know, I think this is a concept that has been lost to an extent um, over a number of times because now they, they talk about that the average person now changes their not just career, but their field of work, like the actual area area of work they work in, they change, the average person changes three to four times in their lifetime. That's entirely entire field of work, not just, you know, I went from, you know, I was a teacher and I became a principal, but you're still in education. It, it's, they, they change their entire field of work three to four times in a lifetime. That's a lot. And so you, uh, it, you, it makes it difficult to, to get focused and to really put enthusiasm into something whenever you just kind of consider just a job. And so that, I think that is something that, um, and that's, that's definitely stereotypical. There's a lot of people who do not fall into that, but I think that is a, an ever growing, um, an ever growing uh, idea. 
I think it's important though that you the reason is the rest of the verse. You do all that because in the grave you ain't doing that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Once you're gone, there's there's no more you can't go back and be enthusiastic. Now I'm do something else. Yep. Um, as we move on to kind of the, the last suggestion that we have, it's important to remember that most of these are exactly that, suggestions. Now, some of these we, uh, we have definitely seen, and there are definitely uh, commands in some of these. But these are suggestions. So sometimes these suggestions can, uh, since they are suggestions, can kind of almost go counter to each other or at least have a hard time being hand in hand. Um, so would you listen to this verse? And this is one of the more interesting verses in uh, in our passage here it says, uh, this is chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed. So the, the cast your bread upon the water, that is very highly debated uh, among scholars, has been for a very long time, is exactly what that means and what that is getting at. Uh, the most commonly accepted piece of that, though, that almost everybody accepts is be willing to take a risk. That's really what that comes down to, be willing to take a risk. The, uh, you know, we've already discussed planning, forethought, this is valuable. However, after you plan, after you put thought and time into this stuff, you should still be willing to take the risk. You should be willing to step out into something that you don't know, something that is unusual to you, something that scares you. Be, um, be willing to trust God in that. If, if, it becomes, if one becomes so concerned with the success of a, of a venture or the, the safety of an activity, you'll never do anything. You, they, they talk about being frozen by fear. That you, you never really step out. We are about to, here in a, a month or two, we're about to uh, going out and do door knocking. And I, like a lot of people, have, have heard and I probably even have stated that it's like, well, you know, that's just not something that we really do anymore. And the reason we don't do that anymore is for, I think it's twofold. Number one, we're scared and we think they're scared. And everybody's just scared and so we don't want to go do that because we, we just never know what you're going to walk up on a house. You're right. You know. You have no idea. Hey, um, my, my wife, I mean, she didn't know I was going to do this. I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize now. Um, the, uh, but she has spent the better part of her career going into people's homes. I, I asked one time how many homes that she thinks she went into. She couldn't even begin to give me an answer. All right. You never know, and she can vouch, you never know what you're walking into every time you do that. I have now begun to do that myself, walking into people's homes. Um, I have done everything from just walk into homes that it's, it's difficult to stay in to other homes that I've walked into that I had to actually drag myself out because if I stayed there, I, I could not stay there and listen to the, the grandmother tell me one more story about her kids because it was getting on to like the end of the day <laughs> because I had, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a wonderful opportunity. But the point is you never know what you're going to get. But if we spend our time just being scared of, well, I just, I, it's just too scary. I can't do that. You're never going to do anything. You're never going to go into those situations. You're never going to, uh, to take that risk. And, and it, again, no one is saying you should just throw caution into the wind and just go do whatever and, and just completely forget about it. That's why we plan. That is why we prepare. But you still have to take that risk. You still have to take that, 
that next step and trust in God. And Ryan? Yes. It's not necessarily being scared. It's also realizing that maybe if you go to, let's say, five doors and you're not expecting any of them to say, you get one out of five, and that's fantastic. But people don't think that way. True. They think you have to have five out of five. Yeah. Everyone has to be on your side. That's true. And it's it's hard. Um, I, I've, I've talked to people about that. That's a, um, uh, a, a, that's a very baseball analogy idea. Uh, one of my absolute favorite conversations that I ever had with a student, a wonderful, wonderful kid. Uh, he came out for baseball, decided he was going to play baseball. And we he'd never played before. He got it there. I was doing, I was throwing batting practice to him. I mean, when I say he didn't hit a ball, he didn't come within two feet of a ball, swinging the bat. I mean, just could not, could not. He fouled one, and the team went nuts. That he actually got, he actually touched the bat. As we're walking back, I was walking next to him. I look over, and he was just weeping, bawling. And so it, this took a little while. If you knew the, knew the student, it, it, you'd understand this. But it took a while to explain to them. But I proceeded to explain to him the what makes baseball wonderful is because you can actually only touch a ball and put it into play 20% of the time and be considered okay. If you can hit 30%, you're considered pretty good. If you can hit 40%, it means you don't touch the thing 60% of the time. If you hit it 40%, you're considered one of the best baseball players to ever play the game. Okay? As he began to understand that, he started to understand that even small amounts of percentages, and if you know much about baseball, that is a game of statistics. And all of that, the smallest amount of statistics, are, it can, can really help change your understanding. So if you go into door knocking with the idea, it's like, well, we, I need to get at least 50 or 60% of the people. If you get one, right, you have, you have succeeded because you have talked to one person and that's what we're, that's our goal, right? I, Dale Hartman used always to call it Nicodemus moment. Whenever you have, you have one person show up to a class, I'll teach the one person. And I think that's, which is a wonderful mentality. And the New Testament, a perfect example of this would be the parable of the sower, right? This is... Cast the seeds out. Let God do the work. You know, as we kind of wrap up on this, I would just reiterate the question, how can we exercise wisdom with the result that he or she will live an enjoyable life under the sun? And that's really what this all comes down to, is exercising wisdom. And, you know, we've looked at a number of different suggestions, some of which uh, are not just suggestions. Uh, Solomon I mean, definitely commands uh, but uh, he presents quite a few of these. And if you want to live a good and happy life here, do these things. Follow these suggestions. Follow Scripture. Focus on God. Focus on uh, the, what is coming after this life under the sun. And, and you can have happiness. You can have enjoyment. And you can bring a lot of people in with you. I, I firmly believe that is one of the primary things that is going to draw people into the church in this world that is supposedly getting so much worse is that we always have hope. We always have peace. We always have joy. We always, because we know that no matter how bad a world gets, this is not our home. And that's what is going to make us be able to draw people in is because they just see something different. They don't understand it and they want to know more. So remember the words of Ecclesiastes as we, in his, these suggestions, as they 
as we move forward. So we are, uh, this is our, not the last class, but one more class after this. And uh, we are going to um, be kind of wrapping everything up and concluding on this. I don't know, I haven't written the class yet, so I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to, um, how I'm going to wrap all this up. But uh, if you have any, I will encourage you this, if you have uh, any comments or questions or concerns or thoughts or anything you would like to add out involving Ecclesiastes or anything we've talked about in this class, please bring with you. And because uh, I'm thinking what I might do, and I, I don't, again, I haven't written the class, so I'm not positive. What I'd like to do is just kind of have a wrap up, which allows us to discuss some things that maybe we didn't get a chance to talk about or something like that. Now, I will say this, and I'm saying this predominantly to Don. Okay. If you have a question that is going to be outside of what we, I would probably would have studied for, please let me know ahead of time. <laughs> uh, and so anyways, uh, but again, if you have any questions or comments, whatever, please bring with you. We can talk about them and discuss them. I appreciate your time. Have a wonderful, wonderful Lord's Day.